I'm Anusha. And I'm Abby. Today we have Michael Tyler on the pod. But first, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at flyonthewallpod. And you can also email us at flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com. So make sure to subscribe. Yeah, um, so today just a little quick bio about Michael Tyler. He is currently Tom Perez's chief of staff at the DNC. Um, he formerly uh, was the press secretary and um, for Perez's campaign for DNC chairmanship. And he also did a ton of campaigns in the past. He started off in Obama's 2008 campaign as a field organizer, um, did a variety of press secretary and communications roles in um, campaigns in Georgia and Wisconsin, worked on Doug Jones' Alabama campaign for a bit, and he is a proud Hoya alum. Um, so let's welcome Michael Tyler onto the pod. Thank you for joining us on Fly on the Wall today. We're very excited to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming over to the DNC. Well, for you, thanks for coming down the hall. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we'll just jump right in. So talking about um, you worked on campaigns for a while. Um, Obama was your first campaign and then um, a lot of ones um, afterwards. So you were a student at Georgetown uh, back in the day and you took some time off to work as a field organizer for Obama's 2008 campaign in Virginia. What went into that decision um, to leave school for a bit to go do that? I did. Um, well, for me, it was a fairly straightforward decision-making process. I guess I should back up for a second and just talk about you know why I decided that uh, political campaign work was like kind of the right approach. Yeah. Um, I've I've had this conversation with you actually uh, <laughs> just as early as last week. But mm-hmm. um, for the benefit of your listeners, you know when I originally went to Georgetown. I was in the School of Foreign Service. I um, kind of went into school in fall of 2005. So in high school, um, we were, as a nation, dealing with the fallout of 9-11. Um, we were only four years removed on mm-hmm. my, you know, my freshman semester. Um, and so you know, I really thought that I was going to go to school um, to prevent the U.S. from engaging in um, similar you know, disasters, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, I didn't know if that was going to be the Foreign Service or if it was going to be working for some you know, NGO or in some other kind of capacity to um, prevent, uh, you know, this nation or other nations from pursuing, you know, irresponsible foreign policy decisions. Um, but then when I showed up uh, on campus, it was August 2005 and Katrina hit. Yeah. And for me, it obviously hit close to home because I have family um, in southern Louisiana, both in New Orleans and on the North Shore of Lake Pontchartrain. Um, and so um, seeing the government's response to, uh, you know, a, a quote-unquote natural disaster, um, even though it was obviously the result of public policy decisions um, for years in the past, but seeing that the, the response or lack thereof um, for, you know, certain communities, I really saw the necessity to kind of dig in closer to home. Um, and so kind of knew throughout, from that point on, throughout the rest of my career, that I was going to focus on um, issues of domestic politics. And so um, when this guy with this funny name, uh, who kind of looked somewhat like me, decided that he was going to run for president, um, was obviously very inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that that was the type of work that I wanted to do. 
Um, and so I had conversations like with my parents and I was like, Hey, I think I want to drop out of school. Um, and they're like, you want to do what? And I was like, well, you know, <laughs> uh, I want to go work for this guy named Barack Obama. And they're like, Oh, okay. Um, they were actually cool with it. But then I, you know, I, I, I talked to folks, um, on the campus community as well. Professor McMorrow, um, who's still a professor there. Uh, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I love professor. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Brian Casper, who's the dean, one of the deans, uh, in the SFS at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that he told me um, was that, Michael, you know you want to go work in politics. Why don't you just go work in politics, right? Yeah. Um, and so when he told me that, uh, that's what really like clicked. And I was like, you know what, you're right. Like, There's all these steps that people tell us we need to go take. But when an opportunity presents itself, um, you got to jump at that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what you know, made me do it. I eventually had to come back and finish up. And frankly, that was harder for me to do, um, knowing that I was like, I already had experience working in the field that I, I knew I wanted to work in. Um, it was kind of hard to come back and like, go back to school and like, mm-hmm. uh, deal with writing papers and uh, deal with like, you know, things in the abstract when like, yeah, there is a real fight going on that you could be a part of. Um, it was just, mm-hmm. it was kind of hard to um, come back to that environment. So so tell us a little bit more about the day-to-day life of working in the field for Barack Obama. Yeah, um, so I've worked as a field organizer, um, and that was uh, the day-to-day voter contact work. Um, here at the DNC, you know, we always talk about making investments in state parties uh, with their particular focus of providing boots-on-the-ground organizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was one of those boots-on-the-ground. We had a field office in Petersburg, Virginia, which is like 45 minutes south of Richmond. Uh, that turf was very interesting turf. It was um, Petersburg, which is on the south side of the Appomattox River, um, Colonial Heights, which is on the north side of the Appomattox, uh, Petersburg, 80% black, 20% white at the time. I don't know what the demographics are today exactly. Um, Colonial Heights, incorporated in 1965 the demographics were the exact opposite. <laughs> um, and you can imagine why. Uh, but it was like, it was very interesting. We were in charge of doing, uh, you know, the phone banks, the door-to-door canvas shifts, uh, volunteer recruitment to get people to actually go knock on those doors. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was formative because it actually taught you dealing with a turf like that. Um, how Though I was not in charge of messaging by any means, um, it taught you kind of in a very intimate way um, how to have messaging that appeals to a very broad base of uh, support. And so someone who has spent the majority of their career in uh, the communications field, that that aspect of it was probably the most formative for me. Yeah. Um, so then after working on Obama's campaign, you worked on a number of other uh, campaigns. So a city council race in Atlanta, um, Michelle Nunn's race for Senate, uh, Russ Feingold's uh, also Senate campaign, and Doug Jones' campaign in Alabama for a bit. Um, what lessons did you learn from those experiences and what was it like to make more of the strategic higher level decisions for a campaign? Um, yeah, no, those were all, they're all fun and informative in their own way. Uh, the Nun campaign in particular in Georgia uh, for me was very special just being from um, the state of Georgia, uh, rooting for Stacey Abrams right now. Uh, for those listening, we're 26 days out from Election Day. Uh, so if this publishes before then, please sign up for, if you're not in Georgia, sign up for a virtual phone bank. Uh, if you're in Georgia, sign up for a volunteer shift, knock doors, uh, make calls, because we have the chance to make history in Georgia by electing Stacey Abrams as the first African-American woman governor in this nation's history. Um, 
But in that campaign for Michelle Nunn, uh, someone who'd grown up in Atlanta, um, but never really uh, ventured too far outside of the metro area, Mm -hmm. um, one of the benefits was that I got to learn a lot more about my own home state, um, which just outside of a professional setting, it was, uh, you don't have a lot of opportunities to really do that. So um, for me, it was special. But it was also um, one of the first times that, to your, the heart of your question, I like was involved in some of the decision-making uh, processes. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a communications director and then I was the press secretary. And so while he dealt with a lot of the, you know, was working with like some of the campaign consultants or some of the other departments on um, like how we would talk about Michelle and how we would talk about our opponent, I was charged with like executing the nuts and bolts of where do we take our candidate? Um, what, which media markets do we go in? Like how do we, uh, work with the political shop to actually make sure that we have the proper surrogates who compliment her and tell the story that we're trying to tell. Um, and it worked out really well uh, because he, you know, was from, he's still one of my best friends to this day. Um, he was not from the state, uh, so he was very smart, um, but knew to rely on people who actually had ties to the community um, to kind of help drive like the, the local narrative um, because it was something that he was just not going to be as in tune on. Um, so for me, as I've like worked on campaigns in other places too, that's advice or that's a method of leadership that like I've certainly taken to heart. Um, the most successful campaigns are those that that lean on people who actually have ties to the community. You don't come in mm-hmm. um, with this perspective like I'm from DC, like I you know I know it all and I'm going to tell y'all what to do. Uh, that is the surest way to fail on a campaign. Um, because these things are, no matter what their scale, like they're all local um, at their core. Um, so that was probably one of the better lessons that I that, uh, that I've gotten um, throughout the way, uh, th- from along the way. But um, yeah, each campaign has been for me somewhat of a stepping stone. I've kind of like um, expanded my portfolio um, to a degree in each one, um, which is also something that, that I've been lucky in um, and something I've mm-hmm. sought out. Like you always want to make sure uh, that you're in a position to grow and learn, um, not just do you know the work that's in your portfolio, but like making sure that you're in a position to um, expand and set yourself up uh, for success long-term and that you're also um, making sure that you're pulling people up behind you and like training them up as well. So like on campaigns, um, whether you're an intern or like junior level staffer, uh, professional development I think is very important because we lack a lot of the kind of formal in- infrastructure for that so it's important that we actually create that within our own campaign apparatuses. So thinking about um, all the campaigns that you've worked on so like Obama and um, the ones that you just talked about right now tell us a little bit more about what election nights are like. <laughs> nerve-wracking. <laughs> <laughs> sure. uh, they're very nerve-wracking. Um, Two of the more recent ones, I guess, are November 8th, 2016, and I think Mm -hmm. December 12th, 2017. Those are two of the ones that stick out the most. Um, And that was obviously uh, election night, the presidential election night uh, for 2016. I was in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, working on behalf of Russ Feingold, um, where we certainly saw, like, you know, the gap closing in the, the final weeks of the election. Um, but if I sat up here and told you that we thought that Donald Trump was going to win and that we were going to lose, um, not just Clinton lose the state, but that we were going to lose, I'd be lying to you, right? Um, so that obviously came as somewhat of a shock. Um, but it was very, very, very motivating at the same time, too. 
Um, my girlfriend was working for Hillary Clinton um, in Brooklyn, working out of the Brooklyn headquarters. She um, was on the digital team there. She was actually charged with managing uh, Hillary's Twitter account. Um, but we called each other up <laughs> from our respective uh, watch parties. And after we cried to one another, um, we decided right then and there that like the only real option we had was to figure out how we were going to fight back and to do it immediately. Um, because we didn't know precisely what was coming next, uh, but we knew that the only way that we were going to get ourselves out of it um, is if we like immediately fought back. Um, and so that's what brought me back to the DNC. Um, it's what um, has kind of set me on this current path, um, and it's why I was in a position to like travel down to Alabama to help out the Doug Jones campaign um, in the final stretch there, which uh, that election night was quite different. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. We, you know, we had a boiler room set up um, where we were kind of getting returns back from. Um, we had staffers like you know on the ground at polling locations across the state. Who are reporting back? They're also reporting back any problems that we might have. Um, and one of the one of the um, stories that's you know sticks out the most was there was a church in the Montgomery area um, that was a polling location that had issues um, where they still had as polls were closing. They had like a line of people um, who were luckily still mostly inside, but it was like the basketball gym that was connected to like the, the church and the polling location and people were still, for whatever reason, um, I can't remember the specifics of it, but um, unable to vote for like hours at a time, but they were still like lined up and determined to you know exercise their right to vote. Um, but we needed to, they were concerned that like um, the elections administrators there were gonna just shut it down. And so um, one of the things that we focused on was like calling all the TV stations to, and like working the phone banks for the assignment editors to make sure that they got like a camera down there to show uh, that there are actually people who were still online and making sure that the elections administrators who were there saw that the cameras were pointing their, you know, pointing their cameras at them yeah. um, to prevent them from doing anything. And this, the location did end up staying up, um, you know, for an additional like hour or two. Um, but the, like that's the type of work that you do on election night to make sure that like all of your target voters have the opportunity to, to exercise the right to vote. Um, but that election night was, uh, was a lot more fun. I remember sitting mm -hmm. up like in our boiler room after we'd taken care of everything, just waiting on the results to close. And uh, you, you guys know the, the New York Times needle, right? We oh, were, yeah, like, yeah. We kept, we kept watching it <laughs> go from, you know, like more like 52% like, you know, <laughs> percent chance of winning. <laughs> and it just kept going like towards Doug Jones. And then it was like, you know, an hour later, it was like, Doug Jones is a 63% chance of winning. And we were like, this can't be right. There's no way this is going to hold. There's no way this is going to hold. And then it kept moving more. And it was like, mm -hmm. Doug Jones, you know, 90% chance of winning. We were like, there's no way. <laughs> uh, and then another like, 10 minutes later, you know, the AP is calling the race. Decision desk is calling the race for Doug. Um, and it was, you know, uh, that's all she wrote. It was a lot more fun that night than it was uh, just over a year before. So... Mm -hmm. Luckily, we're in an opportunity uh, in the next 26 days here to hopefully replicate that uh, all over the country. So it's not a done deal by any means, but if we keep knocking doors, we keep making the phone calls, we're, we're certainly in a position to um, take back this country. So as a Democrat, I'm, I'm very excited about where we are. Yeah. Um, so just a reminder to everyone listening, please go vote. Voting is very important in the midterms, 26 days away. Um, so now kind of skipping forward a little bit. Um, 
During the most recent race for DNC chair, you worked as press secretary for Tom Perez, who ended up becoming the chairperson. Um, how was that race different from the previous campaigns you had worked on? It was very different, actually. Um, it's a good question. So, uh, whereas the other races I've worked on have been like true, um, like electoral races, uh, like at the ballot box, this one was, you know, an inter-party election. Um, and so the folks who decided this race were the 447 members of the Democratic National Committee. And so that's the state chairs, the state vice chairs. Um, it's a number of at-large appointments who are made by the sitting DNC chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then various other like Democratic organizations and unions have their representatives on the DNC as well. So the target universe of voters, where it's normally like, you know, at the very least tens of thousands of people, um, the scale was much smaller, even though it uh, appropriately was a national election with a lot of national attention on it. Um, and so it was kind of bizarre in some, you know, in some ways, simply because uh, you're dealing with the national media, but you are simply trying to target, you know, 447 people and your win number is like 224 or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so it was just very interesting. Um just that kind of working on that kind of scale while still having a, a national magnifying glass on your work. So um, after uh, Tom Perez became the chair, you joined his team as the press secretary, and almost a year ago, you were promoted to chief of staff. So how were these roles different, and was it a challenge to go from more of a well-defined set of responsibilities to something more broad? Very good question, and the short answer is yes. <laughs> uh, it certainly has been a challenge. It's been somewhat of a challenge simply because when you are working, you know, as like the press secretary, you're a member of the communications team, you have a very specific charge. You know, it's talking with reporters on a day to day basis, it's pitching stories, it's doing rapid response work, um, it is planning out which interviews the chairman or other people here at the DNC are going to do. Um, and when you're you know, working as the chairman's chief of staff, the workload is just much more diffuse. Mm-hmm. Um, your each day can look somewhat different, um, and so that's just a transition, right? Like going from something that's you know exactly what you're dealing with coming in every single day to dealing with the entire building and the entire operation. You're talking to the political team, you're talking to the finance team, you're talking to our mobilization department about digital organizing and digital fundraising. Um, just the the scale of the work um, is a little is a little different, um, but there it's fun it's uh it's been the pace is the same right like you're it everything kind of hums along very quickly um right now there's certainly a a sense of urgency about our work here um that everybody shares no matter if you're in the communications department or if you're in the uh political department or if you're you know in our office where we've got Juan and Sonia who are, are mapping out you know Tom's movements um for every minute of every day uh, everybody knows that like their role, you know, matters um, significantly because it's going to take all of us to to make sure we get over the hump um, on November sixth. So, um, for me personally, it's it has been um, it's definitely been a transition, but it's one that I'm I'm enjoying. So, yeah. Uh, well, like you said earlier, it's always good to find roles where you are challenged professionally. So exactly. That's good. You're following exactly. your own advice. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so this uh, one is uh, something we like to ask um, every guest. Um, so you're only 10 years removed from being a student at Georgetown, and you already have one of the most high-profile jobs in Washington. So how did that happen so fa- Hey, no, it's true. <laughs> I don't know if it's that high <laughs> No, it's very it impressive. 
Uh, so how did that happen so fast? And what would you say to students who might want to follow in your footsteps? Um, I would go back to, to what I said before, like make sure that you're putting yourself constantly in a position to learn, learn and grow. Make sure you're, you know, fostering relationships um, with your coworkers and with your bosses. Uh, you will find that your bosses are more than willing in most uh, circumstances uh, mm -hmm. to share their knowledge, to provide professional development opportunities. It can be somewhat of a challenge, as I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, on campaigns simply because uh, there is no like broader infrastructure network. Um, it's incumbent upon the people themselves to kind of take ownership on that and seek out um, professional development opportunities. It's something that I've tried to be cognizant of myself um, as I've like grown and my responsibilities have grown to kind of, you know, make sure that we're pulling people up behind us. Um, and that's not just like, you know, being entirely altruistic. It's also, that's what it takes to make sure that we're developing the next crop of talent um, because this, uh, this battle is constant, right? Um, we're constantly having elections. We're constantly um, going to have, you know, campaigns in need of like, you know, top level talent. And so we've got to mm -hmm. make sure that um, there's no there's no lag there. So um, it's something that that I've been cognizant of. And just, I mean, frankly, like, don't be afraid of roles. Like, put yourself out there. Um, sometimes people are scared, or you know, or think that uh, they lack the qualifications to to actually you know handle a certain portfolio. Uh, that's probably BS. You're probably just like doubting yourself. Um, so don't be afraid of any role. Like it can't, it's not going to hurt you to apply. It's not going to hurt you, uh, to interview. It's not going to hurt you to ask your boss or that person you met, um, you know, at the networking function to have a coffee, to talk about something. Um, people are more than willing to, to, to provide you with the platform. Um, so, uh, that would be my, you know, my short advice. No, that's great. Yeah, that's some great advice for our listeners. Um, so just moving on to our final segment, we like to lighten up. Oh, I didn't warn you about this. <laughs> no, just, yeah, yeah, easy, first answer that comes to mind. Say the first thing, yeah. Okay, so the first one, pick one, um, press secretary or chief of staff? <laughs> I got to go with chief of staff now, right? <laughs> yeah, and then follow-up, campaigns or party committee? Uh, campaigns, and I will say that because they nothing provides you with more like immediate growth and learning than working on a campaign out of necessity because you're the one on the ground, you're the one who's got to figure it out in real time and you don't have time to rely on other people. Um, here we have a little bit more of an infrastructure, which is mm -hmm. fantastic, um, but if you're looking to grow and learn immediately, there's no substitute for a campaign. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that's not a lightning answer. No, that's okay. <laughs> All right, favorite person in Washington who does digital organizing? Who the, uh, that'd be my girlfriend, Alex Witt. <laughs> I was hoping that'd be your answer. <laughs> Um, and then give us your prediction. How many House seats will Democrats have after the midterms? Uh, we will take back more House seats if more people go knock on doors for the next 26 days. <laughs> Great answer. Um, well, Michael Tyler, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So thank you everyone for listening to a fantastic episode. What, uh, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, Michael Tyler definitely had some great advice for any person looking to get uh, into campaigns and politics. And make sure to, again, subscribe and follow us on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can email us too if you want at flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com. We're at all at flyonthewallpod. Um, so yeah, make sure to give us a follow. Great. Thanks for listening and see you next week.